Welcome to the Spring Forth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording was made on October 17th, 2021, the 21st Sunday of Pentecost. Good morning. It is a pleasure to see you here this morning as we gather for worship and check in with, with God and with one another and hopefully find some strength for the week that lies ahead. Turning our attention to our announcement page, you can see that our, our prayers and list is growing. I'm glad that Jerry's with us today. It's good to see you. Um, our prayers are with you and family as you continue to make our way through the news of Wendy's passing. We also have received word from Donna Horsfeld that her mother, Shirley Jensen, passed away. So we send out our, our prayers to Donna and her brother and Bob, and our friends at the Lutheran Church. Linda Luber's still in hospital, um, and judging from the information that she shared with Mary Jurtz, that may be some time as she recovers from a recent back procedure that she had earlier this month. We continue to send our prayers to her, and I bring you regards from Dwayne Beret whose company I was able to share on Thursday. And as I reported to the council, he is being very well looked after, very comfortable, and is not in want for anything. So I would say that he is definitely in a, in a good, good space mentally as well. We continue our prayers for the Drans, Detmans, McCulloch's, Dan Burke, who hopefully, if things go, go well, should be coming home from the care center as soon as they make sure that all the safety procedures and precautions are in place. But uh, he, he half jokingly said to me that one way or another, his insurance is making sure he's going home. So, <laughs> so it sounds like, I mean, Dan wants to go home and, and his insurance wants him to go home as well. <laughs> okay. Are there other highlights that we would like to lift up uh, with regards to community events or any other additional? Yes, Linda. That's right, and our Wednesday night programming is kicking in. We're going to be having a Sunday school program for the children and an adult study, book study, on this book here, The World is About to Turn, Mending a Nation's Broken Faith by Rick Rouse and Paul Ingram. And this book leads us through a conversation of how we can sort of just revitalize 
the religious and faith conversation in our country, given the, shall we say, uh, excessive polarizations that we have had of late. So there should be some interesting talking points as we move through the chapters of this book and hopefully find ways to implement some civility in our religious dialogue in our respective communities. If there is nothing else at this time, Please join me with our invocation as printed in the bulletin. God be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, in Christ you have revealed your glory among the nations. Preserve the works of your mercy that your church throughout the world may preserve with steadfast faith the confession of your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Please rise and join in our opening hymn, number 45.
Because you have made the Lord your refuge and the Most High your habitation. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. You shall not tread upon the lion and adder. You shall not trample the young lion and the serpent under your feet. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I am with him in trouble. I will rescue and bring him to honor. The Old Testament reading this morning is from Isaiah 53, 4-12. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silence, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The epistle this morning is from Hebrews 5, 1 through 10. Every high priest chosen from among mortals is put in charge of things pertaining to God on their behalf to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. 
He is, able, <clears throat> he is able to deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is subject to weakness. And because of this, he must offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as for those of the people. And one does not presume to take this honor, but takes it only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and having been made perfect, he, be he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. You nailed that one, Carol. <laughs> Please rise for the gospel. Well, the gospel reading for this morning is taken from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. James and John, the son of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us one to sit at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink from or to be baptized with the baptism of which I will be baptized with? They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism for which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand. And at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Word. You may be seated. Let us pray. God of grace, God of glory, thanking you for this day that you have given us an opportunity to gather to just unburden ourselves, but for a few moments from some of the cares of the world, the things that will be there waiting for us when we return. But during this time that we have together, we ask that you would restore us in body and mind and spirit. Remind us of your promise that we are not far from you and that your mercies are far and wide and can even penetrate sometimes the impossible nature of the things we have to deal with. Burdens of grief, responsibilities far and wide, there are many things that press in on us during a given week, and sometimes we grow weary. So just the reminder and the knowledge that you were with us and that we can pray to you wherever and whenever, 
is enough to bolster our resolve and to help us meet those challenges that life throws at us. May today be an opportunity to galvanize that promise so when we depart from this space, we feel not hollow, but that something has been accomplished, that perhaps at some portion during our time together, you became real and we were able to experience your grace. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. May you bless, keep, and guide us now and always. Amen. So I've been moving through the epistle of Hebrews. We're now in our third week on Hebrews. And Hebrews has been, the author of Hebrews has been really punching this theme as Jesus, as the, the head of a, of a great household and the standard bearer of our faith. So I was thinking about children's games. Games that maybe we played as children in the front yard, back lawn, in the neighborhood. And what's interesting about children's games is that they're often based upon themes that we will encounter somewhere in life. Uh, in the wintertime, we used to play on the, on the playground, King of the Hill. And King of the Hill was always sort of a rough scrum scramble to try to get to the top and and then if you were fortunate enough to get to the top, you had to maintain your position at the top. Now, where is that a parallel in this world? As we climb the corporate ladder, as we climb the ladder of success, you want to make sure that you want to beat off any offenders who might try to challenge what you have worked so hard to acquire. So maybe that's actually not a game we should have our kids play, right? You know, teach them, teach them a, a kind of cruel and harsh mannerisms. Then... Um, then we used to do uh, the Simon Says one. And it was interesting because Simon Says always, it always had to be preceded by the name. If you just touched your knee and Simon didn't say it, you were out. So you had to listen and you had to watch and you had to mimic. I don't really know what that's, that's teaching kids other than just to sort of, you know, follow and zero in and be mindful of the details. The one I liked and the one that we used to improvise, because we would play it on bikes, was Follow the Leader. And Follow the Leader was always one in which we would draw straws. We actually literally draw, drew straws. And then the person, obviously, who drew the short straw became the leader. And what was interesting about this game is that the leader was allowed to ride through the neighborhood, Wherever they wanted to, they could go off trail, they could ride down the creekside, but they had to know those who were going to follow them. So they had to make sure that the course that they were going to ride was challenging, but not so challenging that they would lose their followers. And as a follower, the excitement was, is that perhaps maybe you would be encouraged and have the confidence to go and to ride a trail that you didn't think that you could do. But because you had a string of individuals in front of you, you could watch how they handled and read the trail. And then you could sort of learn. If they ducked underneath a tree branch, you'd have to duck underneath that tree branch. If they broke right, you'd break right. And so it was a wonderful way of both, both being able to teach and inspire by saying, Here's gonna, you know, here we're gonna ride a new trail that I'm familiar with, 
maybe you aren't familiar with, and we're going to cut it. And then, of course, you pass that wisdom on to those who are following you. And that was always an exciting thing for us because what it, what it did was it actually opened up the neighborhood for us. It opened up the neighborhood and showed us uh, different areas, and of course, panicked and traumatized our mothers because they were like, why are you so covered in mud? It's like, oh, we're playing follow the leader and we went to the bog and, you know, and then you got to hose the bike down. But I think that these, these games, these, these children's games are actually formative of what Jesus was trying to establish with his disciples. Now, in, in Hebrews here, the author is speaking about things that have already happened. Speaking about the role that Jesus had played while he was still on the earth, living amongst his disciples, teaching, doing his ministry. And because Jesus was considered the one who was able to bear God's will in a, in a sinless fashion, it makes him the best designated leader. Not because he self-styled himself to be the leader, not because he just showed up and says, I'm the leader, because I'm the oldest, or I'm the smartest, or I'm the best looking. No, he was the leader because God appointed him so. This was not something that he wanted for himself, but God says, you are my beloved, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. So because it was laid upon Jesus, he therefore took that into his understanding and began to live his ministry out of the understanding that he was going to be responsible for those that Jesus was going to entrust to him. Now, we who attach ourselves to Jesus have this very same responsibility. That as we attach ourselves to his likeness of compassion, forgiveness, of understanding, to be long-suffering, that we realize that those who are looking to us for wisdom, those who are looking to us for responsibility, those who are looking to us for how to live in the world, are, we're passing down our understanding of Christ to those who are in our care. We don't often talk about the priesthood of all believers, but the priesthood of all believers is, is knit and woven into the context of the Christian community that though churches have pastors, appointed pastors, who try to teach and lead and inspire, it is the body of the congregation that becomes, that does the, the greater work of the ministry. I've always said that ministers, no matter how effective they may be, can only reach a limited audience. And a minister may not be able to appeal as effectively to your audience, the people you know, the people in your family, the people in your circle of influence, the people who will trust your wisdom and trust your input because they know you, because you have history with them. So it's important for us to understand that as a Christian community, when we gather together and we get renewed and recharged by scripture and the singing of hymns and the hearing of and praying of prayers, we are doing that to fortify ourselves for our own respective mission fields. 
Who are we going to encounter during this course of the week? When are we going to be called upon to advise or to support or to encourage? There's not a person in this room who hasn't encountered a friend or a relative who hasn't had the odd bad day, who hasn't suffered with depression, who hasn't been who hasn't lost something that was important to them, and they are having a difficult time putting those pieces back together. And here we are called upon to be that compassionate individual to meet them in that hour of need and to not make matters worse. To show up, to hold a space, to really hear them. Because hearing is the best possible ministry we can offer to one another to hear where a person's at, to know where they are coming from, before we even act, before we even try to solve any problems, we have to know where folks are at. And that was some of the finest ministry that Jesus did. The only reason he could attend to his disciples is because he listened to them and he knew where they were coming from. He knew their walk of life and he knew where he could lead them if he could get them to trust him. And the way that we can get individuals to trust us is to exhibit an interest and a true, genuine compassion to meet them where they're at. So what are we to do with this responsibility, this responsibility of being able to be torchbearers and then to pass the torch on? What do we have to be mindful of? What do we need from Jesus in order that we can be on as effective as we possibly can in, in this life that we're called to live. What do we have to be mindful of about ourselves? We probably should be mindful of the things that trigger our temper, the things that we're not humorous about. We, we all have some things that it's not a laughing matter. You know, someone else is like totally busting the gut and they think it's funny and they're like, it's not funny to us. This is very serious, right? I'm halfway between home and my destination, and my engine, my check engine light came on. I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing. And the person's like, things happen, man. I told you not to buy that beater. So what do we have to know about ourselves and our relationship with God in order that we don't bear bad witness, right? that we don't go out in the world and, and heap a little bit more misfortune on someone because we haven't worked, we haven't worked through our stuff yet? Because when we're unhappy, we're very good at making our unhappiness go viral. <laughs> when we're dissatisfied, when we're morose, we make sure that everyone else around us is feeling it. We're effective communicators of our misery. Oh, so what makes Jesus so effective? Because we've been through the Gospels. We've moved through the Gospels, and we've seen that Jesus has been at various points in his life, confronted by critics. People who disapproved of the company that he kept. They disapproved of his actions. They disapproved of, 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 of you know, you're talking to Gentiles. You're eating with unclean hands. You're running around with these um, unemployed uh, fishermen. We think that you're suspect. And yet never do we ever see Jesus dismissing these individuals. We see him enduring. We see him engaging them with with conversation, we see them actually having compassion on these individuals, even though they think everything about him is offensive. 
the lessons that we can take in the character of this man are far and wide. And it behooves us to pay careful attention to his gentle approach. This does not mean that he was weak. Just because he debated with his critics and, instead of giving them a smack doesn't mean that he was weak by any means. It meant that he understood that these individuals lacked a certain type of wisdom which he wanted them to have. So he continued to persist in his conversation with them because he didn't want to lose them. How many of us have just walked away from conversations because we're like, I can't get through to you. So instead of like going that extra measure, right, to try to work with this individual, we say, I'm done, I'm, I'm, I'm done. And we break it off and we go away. And whatever could have transpired and whatever growth could have come, it's cut short, it's done. Now I know about losing patience. Trust me, I'm a minister, I know all about that. I know about losing patience and getting annoyed and wishing for early retirement. Someday, 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 right? So I, I know all about that and the frustrations that come, but what renews me is when I go back and I dip into these narratives of Jesus who seems to draw from this incredible wellspring of strength, and he's cool, and he handles things with such a gentle touch. Take a look at what's going on here in the gospel. The sons of Zebedee, James and John, part of the inner circle, they come to Jesus and they ask for the best position in the afterlife, in the life to come. Jesus, we want you to do this for us. We want to sit at your right and sit at your left. Now, apparently, emblematic that when you had a, a general, the two most closest supporting officers both would be at the right and the left. Correct me if I'm wrong. Something like that. Okay. So for James and John to ask for this position from Jesus is saying, we want to be elevated. We want to be your go-to guys, even above all of the other disciples. And Jesus says, you know what, I'll, ta I'll take that bet, but here's what I need from you. Are you willing to endure the same hardship that I have to endure, to drink from the cup of suffering, and to endure the baptism of fire? And without truly understanding what that meant, they said, mm -hmm, yeah, sure, whatever. Whatever the buy-in, whatever the prerequisite is, we're in. Count us in. He says, okay. You will share in my baptism and you will share in this cup of suffering. But this elevated status of being at my right, being at my left, that's not mine to give. That's God's. And it will be given to those for whom it's been prepared. Now, why do you think the other 10 became indignant? The other 10 disciples became indignant at James and John because they didn't even know that was an offer. They didn't even know they could ask for that. Right, that's asking for a promotion, and they all figured, well, if Jesus wants to promote us, he'll promote us. We, we can't ask for it. We can't offend him. And then James and John jump right up the head of the line and say, this is what we need, Jesus. This is what we want from you. And the others are like, oh, I'm good. They went and took a, what? And then Jesus is like, calm down, calm down. There's room for everybody. And if you want to be eager at climbing the ladder, first of all, you've got to be a servant. 
and you've got to be willing to be a slave to all. You've got to be willing to put yourself at the back of the line in order to win at this game. Now that might have cooled their jets, and then maybe they didn't feel that James and John snatched anything precious from them. But Jesus says, this ministry that I am doing is not one where we start at the top. And it's never going to be that way for everyone who comes after us. It's always going to be sort of a, starting from, from grass roots, starting from the most uh, menial of positions down there in the valley. And when we start from that position, then we can begin to bring people up because you can't help people out of the mire if you haven't been there yourself. We talk about mountaintop experiences. No one starts at the top. We don't start at the top. We all have a freshman year, and it's all miserable. We all hate being freshmen. And the thing is, you think you only have one freshman year in high school? No, you get freshman years for everything. When you start that new job at the company, when you just get married, right? When you have your first child, there's lots of freshman years. And for those of you who've just been recently retired, you're in a freshman year as well, because you don't even know what to do with yourself. So here you're like, oh my gosh, I don't have a job to go to. What am I going to do with myself? That's okay. Your spouse will work out an agenda for you. Because the last thing they want is you annoying them. But I'm looking forward to it someday. So we have a series of freshman years, a series of opportunities to begin and to learn. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That's why he's like, follow me because I know the way. Follow me because I have been there. Follow me because I have been designated the appointed leader of this ragtag group of individuals called Christians. Not just the 12, but every last one of us who wants to cozy up to his name. And he is still there setting the agenda for us, so we needn't feel as if we need to go back to formula and reimagine what it means to be faithful. All you have to do is just dip into the Gospels every once and again, check in with worship every once and again, read our devotions, hopefully, preferably daily, and learn by the numbers. Learn because it's, it's we don't, we don't have to, we, we complicate things. Churches complicate things. We keep, we keep God and the Holy Spirit to distance. We tell people they have to jump through a whole bunch of hoops and do all a bunch of ridiculous things and give a certain amount. When really, it's just a question of just pay attention. Pay attention. Recognize what suffering looks like. Recognize how to alleviate suffering. Recognize what joy looks like and how to celebrate joy. This is not, these are not complicated things. We complicate these things, which is no wonder why no one bothers with church. They go, why don't you stop going to church? Too complicated. I just wanted to learn how to love, and they told me I had to get on a committee, and I was like, nope, goodbye. <laughs> so we complicate these things. So I'm telling you it's not that complicated. Christianity is nothing more than a game of follow the leader. And if we know who our leader is, Jesus Christ, we will not go astray. Amen. Let us lift our voice in our response of hymn number 432.
be seated. Bless you. Let us take this time now to join in the fellowship of prayer, making known our concerns in our hearts to God, lifting up those on our prayer list and in our community. Let us pray. Loving God, we, we feel that perhaps maybe this, this portion of worship is maybe the most substantial for us because we can get inside our heads and replay the events from previous weeks to think about the times when we were so caught up in the moment that we perhaps didn't project the best possible faith witness. We didn't think of our, the spiritual nature of our existence. We acted in the heat of the moment, said and did things that are so decidedly human. And then of course we suffered the recourses and the repercussions of our humanly outbursts and limited understanding. We are not you. You did not create us to be you. We are who we are. But you have given us the gift of faith that we might be able to connect with you in times of need, when our wisdom is exhausted, when the burdens become so great that we just simply it only makes sense to call out to you. Maybe we haven't been there for a while. Maybe we're there too often, and it just seems that it's just blow after blow, and we can't take anymore. We're played out. However you find us this morning is exactly as we are. There's no pretense here. We're not trying to impress anyone, and we're certainly not trying to impress you. If we come in and we have unanswered questions and we just feel that we need the warmth of your embrace, let us have it. Let us feel connected to you in some way and let that connection not just stop once the worship service concludes and we head back into our weeks full of responsibilities. Give us some indicator some inclination that you're with us and that your promise is real and that it's not just preacher's hype, but that you really do love us, you desire more for us, and you are carrying us when we need to be carried. Help us to take seriously this invitation to follow you, not for self-exaltation, but so we can learn Help us to walk the path that we've never considered walking before because we didn't feel equipped or we didn't know the way. But if we walk it with you, you'll guide our steps. You'll reveal to us the obstacles. You'll help us to avoid them so we can make that journey. 
and learn some things along the way. Give us every possible example that we need to be strong people of faith and to share that spiritual wisdom with others who are in need. We ask that you would bless those who are sick and suffering, especially those in our community who are in hospital. We ask that you would mend bodies and minds, that you would help people who are struggling with depression and addiction, feeling passed over. We ask that you would continue to be with those who are grieving. The family of Dale Wright, the family of Wendy Eights, the family of Shirley Jensen, countless others' families whose names we do not know or have only heard in passing. Bear them up. And speak to them your words of comfort in deeds and acts of kindness and a good night's sleep which sometimes grief can rob us of. We set our prayer concerns before you today because we have some things that we'd like to unburden ourselves from. We know that they won't go away. It's sort of a symbolic placing on the altar. It's us saying these things don't have power over us if we don't want them to. So hear the prayers of your people, hear their joys, hear their concerns at this time in Jesus' name. giving you thanks for receiving these, the prayers of your people. Collect them into your care. Let your blessing fall upon us as we pray as one. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
us to contribute to our communities through the gift of our, our hands, wisdom of our minds, we are able to provide treasure. And we ask that you would bless this portion and present it, that you may continue to strengthen the ministry both within and beyond these walls. We offer these things for the sake of he who offered himself for us, Christ our Lord. I invite you to join together in our hymnal for the church covenant, front cover. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Lord, we present ourselves to you. We ask that you would untether us from the constraints that have kept us from bearing witness and that you would remind us that we are forgiven and that we are loved, and that we are worthy. Amen. On a night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples, took bread. He blessed it and says, this is my body. Take and receive in remembrance of me. Fun, aren't they? <laughs> then he presented it with a cup. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for the remission of sins. Loving and most merciful God, once again, the most powerful prayer we can say to you is thank you. Thank you once again for not casting us out. Thank you for renewing us and for reminding us that we are forgiven. May your love be transformed into action, and may we take that love and heal the world. Amen. We join together in our closing and final hymn, number 586.
Beloved and most merciful God, behold your people, guide them, strengthen them, preserve them. May the grace of Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you now and always. May it keep you and guide you securely in peace.